morning, everyone. There is no junior church today, so kids, there are bulletins in the back with crayons and stuff. Remember, if you fill those out, we'll give you a piece of candy for paying attention to the service today. So I grew up with a, um, hearing a statement all the time, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Once I get to a certain age, they're just kind of done growing, and that's been proven wrong many times, not just in dogs, but in old men, too. Um, but there, there was this illustration I read. An old sailor repeatedly, repeatedly got lost at sea so much so that he'd get lost and his friends had to go rescue him. They'd have to go out, find him, and bring him back. So one time, um, they decided, they got together and got him a really nice compass and put in his boat for him. So the next time he went out, he followed their advice, took that compass, but as usual, he became hopelessly confused. He was unable to find land. Finally, he had to call out on the radio again for help. The friends get there, start towing the boat, and they yell out, why didn't you use the compass we gave you? It could have saved us and you a lot of trouble. The sailor responded in very angry terms, I tried. It doesn't work. I kept trying to make it point north, but it always pointed southwest. Some of you don't know how the compass works. He kept trying to turn it, but it was always pointing north. But he, in his own mind, knew which way north was. He trusted his own gut. That old sailor was so certain of his way of what he thought was north. He stubbornly tried to force that perception onto the instrument that was offered as true advice and guidance. How many of us have all been so sure that we're right, that we're willing to force the facts to fit our perception of reality? And when we do that, doesn't it usually turn out bad? So we continue our study through the book of Acts with our yearly theme of destination. We're going to come to some detours. How many of you, when you are driving, you're, you see those orange signs, you're like, oh, goody, a detour. That's what's going to happen here in Acts chapter 16. Let's start in verse 6. Uh, Paul and Silas traveled throughout the area of Phrygia and Galatia because of the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. And again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Twice here, there is a sense they want to take the message somewhere and the Spirit doesn't show. Take a look at this map here. Okay, so if you can see, there's that red line starting down here in Judea. They go up and they want to go up into these other areas. That's a long journey, especially without motored vehicles. Okay? And so they're going all the way. They're, they didn't get to go down into Asia. They had to cross over into Macedonia before they come back. This is a very long journey. This is one that Paul would have specifically spent time thinking and praying and preparing for. And he's met with a very big detour. Once again, the early Christians simply followed the next logical place to go. They, this is, hey, we've already preached the gospel here. Let's go to the next section. And twice, Paul is given, do not enter, sign from the Holy Spirit. How many of you are told, when you, when you are told, do not enter here, you want to know why? 
What's behind that door? What can't I see? Why is the reasoning? Especially if you want to go there. We don't like to be told no. My belief is that it's not the um, evangelizing those areas was a bad idea. It just wasn't the right time yet. God wanted the message to go there, but somehow, some reason, it wasn't through Paul or it wasn't at that right time. So what about us? How often do we check to see if our plans, long or short term, line up with the plans that God has in place for us? Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Does God want to give us so much on our plate that it causes disaster in our life? Never. He just said, I have plans for you that are good. And so that means if he's directing our path somewhere else, that means there's something really good for us, not negative. And we tend to think that when we have this plan, when we have this mapped out, this is the good way, and when God changes it, it's a punishment. That's how we kind of tend to think of it. But yet God is saying, no, I have good plans for you. God made Paul stop and change directions twice. And Paul needed to make, be careful to, that he wasn't trying to fit these circumstances into his belief. Look what he did in verse 9. That night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. I think it's really good at this point to understand and remember, Paul knew his ultimate mission in life. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what God had called him, uh, gifted him, and told him to do. He was clear on the goals Jesus had for his life. This is just a detour. He knew what he was supposed to do, and just because the path changed, didn't change his ultimate mission. And that mission was calling to preach the gospel to any and all people. The location was different for him than he planned, but his mission was the same. God doesn't just tell us no and leave us hanging. God shows us what he wants. He may say, not here, here. He doesn't just say no and then watch a disaster happen. We have to be receptive to his voice. Go on to verse 11. We boarded a boat at Troas, sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. There we reached Philippi, a major city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. Notice, a Roman colony. That's important for later. <clears throat> and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some of the women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized and she asked, to be her guest, asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Now, what have we seen so far in the book of Acts? Whenever they get into a new town, they always do the same thing. They go to the same part of town, the same area, to start the mission that God has called them. They could have stopped at a seaport. 
There's going to be lots of people there. This could have been a great spot to meet new people. But they kept going. They go to Philippi, a Roman colony. Lots of citizens, crossroads of the empire here. Uh, Philippi is called the Little Rome. And if Rome was the center of that universe, it seemed at the time, Philippi was a little suburb, a mimic of Rome. And Paul saw this as God's detour to go away from these other areas to bring his message to this area. Now the the gospel has actually reached the footstep of the doorstep or the footstep of Rome. The major impact of all of the world at that time. So what's the normal pattern? They go into this new town and find the local synagogue and start to establish a new base of believers. This had well, worked well everywhere they've been until now. Because in this town, there was no synagogue. There wasn't enough Jewish population to even have one. Another detour. I'm supposed to go here and start preaching the message, but there's no synagogue. Another little detour. But Paul isn't deterred. He, he goes to the river on the Sabbath, not the first day of the week, to find folks who are perhaps believers in Jehovah. And we see this detour that God has constantly been pushing Paul on to start take shape. At the river, does Paul find a group of great, strong believers? He finds a few people, a group of ladies who are praying and worshiping. Right here's another detour. Paul has to confront this detour and determine what to do with it. Paul was a Pharisee, right? A very religious, staunch person. Culturally, they considered women inferior. And at this point, there's no guys here. He has to decide, do I go and find the men of this area and start preaching to them? Or do I take what this detour has led me to? Keeping his mission in mind, Paul does just that and learns that God has brought him to this group of women, namely Lydia, a woman of great influence in the region. I've been told or heard so many times the Bible pushes women down, which is a lie. Okay, it doesn't. And right here we see a man who was raised that women were inferior actually leave that teaching and elevate women to make sure they hear the message. He is including them, lifting them up. Lydia, named from the region she came from, means she was a Gentile. Another little detour. Not only is she a lady, she's also non-Jewish. She's a very wealthy woman who dealt in high-end fabrics. I don't know a lot about the fashion industry, as when you see how I dress, you can tell. I don't really care. So how they got this to be very expensive, purple was derived from a small seashell that was very rare. And this made the dye very expensive, and the cloth became very expensive when it was done that way. And yet she dealt exclusively in that, and she's known to do that. So she's the Gucci of the area. Did I say it right? She handles the fashion. She's the one who does all that. And if she's this fashionista of all this area with this great product, don't you think she knows other influential people of the region? She's met with them. She's the one selling things to them. And we all know wealth can open up 
a lot of worldly doors. And here, having heard the good news, Lydia and her family actually in, opens up her literal door to her home and her door to her heart and life to Christ and then to these preachers. They hear the message, they baptize them, and she invites them to stay longer. Another potential friction point for a Jewish man to go into the home of a Gentile and stay there. But he kept following these detours that God had given him. Paul agrees with his group, and the first church in Europe is established. It wasn't in Asia, it wasn't in these other areas that he wanted to go, but it was here. In fact, Paul's most intimate and loving letter recorded in Scripture is to the church that starts this day. It's safe to say that we've all experienced many detours in our life, especially this last past year and a half. The normal ways of life is kind of totally gone. And it's like a road you're walking on and then all of a sudden it's no longer a road. It just ended and now we've got to figure out a new thing to do. Times throughout this past year and a half, the detours have been minor or slight that we didn't really notice all of them. Sometimes it's been a huge road sign in our face. Jobs have changed forever in COVID and now post-COVID. Relationships have been strained to the breaking points. What are we going to do when the detour sign is in our face? There's a few options we could do. We can sit down in the road, throw a, tenter, um, a tantrum, and not budge one inch until that sign is gone. I, I think if we were all honest, we'd have to admit we've done that. But when has that ever worked? We can simply ignore the sign and then just go on and try to hope for the best. Until a big gaping hole because the bridge is gone, swallows us up. Uh, we just went to the zoo um, this last week, and on our way there, we had a detour sign. And when I'm driving, I know the destination. I want to get there. I, I'm not planning a scenic trip here. I want to get there. And so here's this detour. I'm like, it doesn't even say local residents. It's going to be something. There's no road. So I turn right, follow the detour, and I'm passing a road, and then another road. And I know i got to turn left to get back on my destination, but my detour says keep going. So guess what I did? I turned around and went back to a different road. I'm not following the detour sign, and I kept going, and then all of a sudden I said, Casey, can you check the map, because I'm not sure where I'm at. I'm kind of lost here. I admitted that, yes. And then when she said, yeah, you're going to turn up here. Yeah, I knew that. No, I didn't do that. I didn't like the detour. When we came back, I followed the detour and got off a little early so I could actually see the road. Guess what? There was no road. If I would have tried to go that way, it would have dropped a foot and a half because they had torn it up completely. And I wasn't in four-wheel drive. I was in a minivan. We're not going to last. Detours are there for a reason. And sometimes, as much as they annoy us, what do we need to do? Just do it. Maybe we could keep our eye on the ultimate goal that Jesus has in store for us. Accept the detour and see how he will use this change for his purpose. 
Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose for them. It doesn't say he uses some. It says he knows all. He works all, even detours. God can use any circumstances we are in for good. And it can be very hard to see that, especially in the midst of the pain, the heartache, the turmoil. But that doesn't change the fact that God can and does use all of that for the good. Paul and Silas were met with some detours, but they kept going knowing God would provide. What about those detours that are worse? Have you ever had a detour that took you so far out of the way that there was no bathroom inside and you needed one? You're running low on gas and you needed that and there's nowhere in sight. I've heard of people who were doing it in Kentucky and they were scared because those little roads go like this and they had no idea which way they're going. You pass by road after road, but the detour says keep going this way and it seems to defy all logic. Look what happens next, Acts uh, 16, starting 16. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Real quick, that's a good statement, right? That's a great banner. Here's a commercial following them around saying, They're from God. They're going to tell you how to be saved. This went on for day after day until Paul got so exasperated, he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Instantly, it left her. Paul's preaching her, and she is not promoting the message. She is mocking them. That is what this is. Satan and his minions are not going to ever advertise good for God and his people. So when she's saying this, she is saying this in a very mocking term. And you can tell this because it says, Paul is exasperated. Have you ever been exasperated by a child? Or a spouse? Been exasperated? Oh, it's a good thing that you're not closer Paul was so exasperated, another detour, he is faced with an obstacle, a mocking demon. And so he handles this, he casts the demon out, freeing this girl from the slavery of evil that was filling her. This is a wonderful act with this girl, for this girl. Look what happens. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them before the authorities in the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted at the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Paul has just freed this girl from a demonic possession, and her human slave owners get mad. They throw Paul and Silas into prison. Another detour. But Paul obeyed. Paul did not go into the countries he wanted to go preach in. 
He came to this town because the Holy Spirit had told him to, put roadblocks in his way, detoured him, and because he obeyed God, he is thrown into prison. Have you ever been in a spot where I've obeyed God and it seems like I'm being punished? I'm doing the right thing and bad things keep happening. Why do bad things happen to good people? Real quick, none of you are good. I'm not a good person according to Scripture. We're not good. We need to understand that. Detours are sometimes very hard, and here it seems like God is punishing Paul for following these detours. Let's see what he does. 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Time out. They were beaten, severely beaten, thrown into the dungeon. They had their feet in stocks, and up till midnight, they're not even sleeping, they are singing songs, praying out loud, and the other prisoners are listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. The chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke to see the prisoner doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Paul shouted out to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. Okay, let's just back up to the beginning of part of this detour. They are praying and worshiping God, and it is so loud that everybody, it says, all of them are listening. Where did the jailer put them? The inner dungeon. That means there are several dungeons. That, this isn't like an open cell network that we see in most jails. There are real walls between them. And they are singing and praying so loud, all of the inmates there are listening. Paul and Silas were not being silent here. We read that they were praying so loudly. See, they didn't let this detour hinder their devotion to God. They were stuck, literally, had their feet in stocks, and a miracle happens. This, this miracle earthquake happens that shakes the prison, opens all the doors, releases all the chains. Now, if you are a prisoner and all this happened, what's the first thing you're going to think? Woo, miracle, I'm free. And you're going to leave. And remember, if a prisoner escapes, that guard in this time period had to accept the punishment of the escaped prisoner. And so he opens his eyes. This guard opens his eyes because he fell asleep because they're all locked up. It's midnight. The, everything's shaking. He wakes up, sees the doors are open. There's some on there who have death row. And he gets ready to take his life. And Paul shouts out and says, stop. We are all here. How did Paul know we are all here? How did Paul know that he was about to take his own life? He wasn't still in the central or the deep, dark dungeon. He had come out and was meeting with the rest of them so much that he could see the jailer grabbing his sword and about to stab himself. Paul knew they were all here. There's a little bit of a in between the verses here that we just skip over. What was he doing that they all shook 
Everything's, we're all awake and free. Paul's like, hey, come here, let me tell you about the guy who just did this to you. Let me tell you about the God who shakes foundations and frees you. And you think this is something? Let me tell you how it frees you from sin. Let me tell you how he shakes the foundations of this world so that he can give you an escape. I think that's what Paul's doing here. And they're all gathering to him because they're like, there is something in this guy who is singing loud, praying loud, and he's telling me how this is happening. There's something drastically different here, and it causes these prisoners, at the chance of an escape, to draw closer still in this jail cell. They're impacted by Paul and Silas, impacted so much, they chose to stay in there and hear the message. What a great detour. Verse 29. The jailer called for the lights, ran into the dungeon, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Let's read between the lines here again. The jailer is shocked. He calls for lights. He calls for proof to see with his own eyes that they're all here. And he, he falls down on his knees, trembling. And his question was not, why did you stay? He didn't say, how did you keep them all here? He said, what must I do to be saved? Why would the jailer ask this question? Why, would, why didn't he say, why didn't you flee? Why is it the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? I am convinced the jailer heard all of this throughout the night. Because Paul and Silas were praising God loudly, praying out loudly, so much that the jailer's like, oh my goodness, will these guys ever be quiet? He heard the message before he fell asleep. And then when the foundations were shaken, when the prisoners were released, it became real. This is not just some lunatic in a jail cell. These are people who know something, and I want to know how to be saved. Even in the midst of the detour, even in the midst of being shackled, Paul and Silas are telling people how to be saved. He asks this. This guard says it. Notice what Paul and Silas say in verse 31. They reply, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Wait a minute. Where's his household? Think about that for a moment. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house set a meal before them, and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Did you notice how many times his household was mentioned? So Paul and Silas tell them they must believe in the Lord. That means the elevated, the supreme one of Jesus. They didn't tell them about themselves. They didn't say, well, here, let me tell you about how God has done this to me. Let me tell you about the journey. Let me tell you about the detours. They didn't allow the detours to stop them from talking about Jesus. That's the focus of everything. Remember I said Paul knew his ultimate mission, and that was to go and tell people about Jesus. And so at this moment, let me tell you about Jesus. They share the word of the Lord, meaning a deeper conversation about what it means to live a life of a Christian, not surface stuff. And notice this jailer had his whole household come and listen, he called for his household to come in and do this. 
if you were drastically saved from death by someone, would you want to introduce your family to them just to say thank you? I, I really think about that. Go get my family, bring them to this guy who saved me from death by stopping me from killing myself because of all this. The inmates are still here. You've got to meet this guy who didn't flee. And he stopped me from killing myself. And does Paul just say, hey, it's nice to meet you? No, it says that they spoke to them about Jesus. They led them into the way of salvation. Notice what all happens in this chapter. Paul and Silas wanted to preach, but God wouldn't let them in that area. Instead, they were forced by God to travel further. They were led to a place where there were no Jews, no synagogue, no church. They were harassed and mocked. A mob and a riot formed against them with false accusations. They were stripped publicly and beaten before thrown into jail, all because of God's detour. It's a very negative way to look at that, isn't it? Or... Even though all those things did happen, there's so much more. A jailer and his family came to Christ. They freed a girl from slavery of demonic possession and human possession. They started a new church in Philippi. Lydia and her whole family were baptized in the faith, and she's an influential lady. You know she's going to be telling more people. All because of God's detour. More people, all because of God's detour, more people came to Christ. Because of the detour God placed in Paul's life, Paul and Silas were able to reach new people. What was Paul's ultimate mission? To reach people, to teach people about Jesus. And these are people they never would have been able to get to if they followed their own ideas of how to finish this mission. Paul could have looked at all these negatives as a negative, a punishment, a hindrance. Or he could choose to look at them as this is God opening doors that I could never open. An opportunity to obey God and show this world something true. We need to do the same. We need to allow God's detours in our life to open new doors of opportunities for new people. There are all these detours in our life right now. Schools, businesses, public... I mean, the zoo was totally different this year than it's ever been before. Things are... And if you're waiting to go back to the old normal, it's gone, okay? It's gone. Mourn that and move on to this new world because this is a new opportunity. The detours have led us here, and now we need to quit looking at them as a negative and start saying, God, what are you doing? And do it in me. God, what are you saying? Now say it in and through me. Who are you wanting me to talk to so that I can reach my ultimate mission just like Paul did? Paul's mission was to go tell people about Jesus. And here's the... The real big synopsis, that is your mission too. That is not Paul's mission solely. That is all of our missions. If we are not telling people about Jesus, we really don't believe in him. Because Jesus said, go tell people. And if I believe in him, I'm going to obey in him. Go tell all people of all nations about me. 
Teach these new disciples. Oh, teach. That means talk again. Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. We need to be talking of fulfilling this mission. What is your mission? Maybe, just maybe, these detours in our life are to get us off of those man-made plans that we have and get us focused back on the real mission. This world is going to hell. And it's taken so many people with them. And for so long, the church has had this idea that we're going to come here and celebrate how good we have it. Instead of saying, okay, here's the marching orders for this week. Here's the mission-minded so we can get out there and find the people that need Jesus. There are detours all around us. Some are really there from Satan. There are some roadblocks that Satan is putting up to stop us, to try and hinder us. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I came up front of everybody and told you we need to start praying more. And, and one person said that I was, um, I just forgot the word, scolding you. I was scolding you about this. And I wasn't, I, this was just a serious thing. We have people who are hurting. We have people who are struggling. This church is under attack from Satan. He is trying to put these detours in us, but I don't follow satanic detours. Those are roadblocks when there's a clear path there. God wants this to grow. And here's what I was telling somebody else about this, and this is what she said from our church here. She said, you know when all this started happening? When someone up in the leadership got up and said, God has shown us that we are going to start moving, we're going to start growing, and we are going to start preparing a new building so we can reach more people. And then all of a sudden, all these troubles started happening. That's a satanic attack. And he has no power here. So we need to learn to differentiate between the satanic detours and the godly ones. The satanic ones want to stop us from doing God's work. That's what it looked like with Paul, though. I'm going to preach. Oh, over here. He didn't stop him from preaching the message. He just directed him to a specific spot. Satan is going to try and stop this church. He's going to stop all of you from talking about Jesus. Let me just say I'm very proud. We have a lot of loudmouths in this church. And it's time we get louder. Because we can't. God has detours for us. They are not to stop us, but they are actually to propel us even further in the ministry. His detours are there to fuel us, to encourage us, to impassionate us, to do even more than we thought we could do. Paul thought, I'm going to Asia and I'm going to start some churches there. And God says, no, let me get you started in Rome. Let me get you started in the change nation of this whole world world, we'll send somebody else over here, but this is where I want you, Paul. And Paul listened. There are detours in your life right now that God is saying, hey, don't don't look over here. I got something better. How are you going to allow those detours to affect you? Are you going to stand up and say, whatever you bring, God, I am in it. Whatever you lead, God, I will follow it. We're going to be like Joshua, as far as my house me and my house, we're serving the Lord. Which means I'm going to talk, and I'm going to preach, and I'm going to tell everybody I can. We got to give away fish yesterday. It was not to give away fish. 
is to start opening doors to say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Are you ready to take that detour? Maybe, just maybe, God's putting that detour there to say, now it's time to start. You've said it. You've sat in church. Now do it. We're going to come to a time of invitation. If you've never made a decision or if you're saying, you know what, I need to repent from not doing it. I need to start doing what the scripture actually says. Come forward. And then as we stand and sing, as we lift up our voices and proclaim how honest or how honoring God is, how wonderful, how glory filled he is. Let us truly say it with our voices and our hearts so that the gates of hell know we are coming. And we are coming with the message about Jesus. Will you stand? Will you sing? And if you had to make a decision, won't you come? Come.